You were never created to be stationary. God gave you the ability to move and communicate for a reason. When Jesus established the church, he intended it to be a movement. And upon his return to heaven, his final words, his command, his mission could be summed up in one word. Go. one point in history, everyone who claimed Jesus all showed up with one purpose at one time. I mean, what would it look like if it wasn't just a march on Washington or, I don't know, people standing on a street corner yelling? What if the church, the real church, the people that believe that Jesus is Lord, that love people and love Jesus like he said is the greatest commandment, what if they all showed up doing exactly what they were supposed to do at the exact same time. What would happen? I, I believe what would happen next would be monumental. I believe we would see the greatest movement in human history of people being one to Jesus ever. If all the church who possesses different backgrounds, different races, different religion, uh, religion backgrounds, you know, different denominationalism, if they all showed up all at one time with one solid purpose, and that was to make Jesus' name known before people, all at one time. I believe so many people would be one to Christ that the early church, if you'll remember, it said that they gathered together daily and they broke bread and they, they went into the apostles' teaching you know, just daily. And it says that thousands were one to Christ and then the Lord just kept adding to their number daily those being saved. Do you remember that moment? I believe that if the church, all of those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, all showed up at one pivotal moment, if they all just began to do what Christ called them to do, it would change the world forever. Here's the thing. The signs keep telling us amazing things that Christ is coming back, right? If you're a believer in the Bible and you read Revelation, you can see that it's coming. And if you don't see it and you want to know more about it, my brother Jimmy is sitting right here. I promise you this. Spend 10 minutes with this man and let him show you what God's doing and weaving throughout history right now in our midst. But can I also tell you this? God's not done yet. He still has you and I here for a reason. He still has his church alive for a reason. And when he's done, he will take his bride back to be with him. That's the church. That's the believers in Jesus Christ. He will take them back to be with him. Until that point, the church isn't done yet. You and I aren't done yet. We haven't even begun to see what God can do when he takes a church, a group of people, believers, and uses them for his purpose. I believe God can still do amazing things. And because of that, it gives us a call to action. It, it makes us, I don't know, want to do something. I don't know if you've ever had that moment of, you need to do something. If you've ever been in a situation where something's being undone and you have an opportunity to see it fixed. And what you did in that moment showed who you are in your life and in, in who you really are as a person. If you just allowed for whatever unjust moment was happening to just happen, or if you took a stance and said, that's not going to happen as long as I'm here. This is the call of Christianity. When will the church, when will the bride of Christ awaken? Because that's what's waiting to happen right now. 
The Holy Spirit quakes and is waiting for a church to arise that will focus on Him and will allow Him to move people closer to relationship with the Father. Will it be you? Will it be us? Will it be Quail Creek? Will it be Amarillo, Texas? Will it be the United States? Let me just tell you, I believe the greatest awakening of Christianity is done in, in, in nations where it's absolutely against the law to follow Jesus. I believe that's where it's happening the most because they are hungry for it. And I believe we have gotten so full of it, we don't even know what hunger for Christ looks like anymore. So we get to this point in Scripture in, in Matthew 28 where Jesus has poured into his disciples time and time again, and they're, they're finally at the end of Jesus' earthly journey with him and and you have to know that Jesus picked his words very carefully because we're a lot like these disciples in that we would forget what he told us if it was too much. If there's too many steps, if there was too many things to do. And so Jesus makes it pretty crystal clear. He just kind of gives them the absolute truth in a small nugget and gives them individual things they needed to do to see the gospel flourish. Before we get to the text, I want to talk to you about two types of trees. There's a banyan tree, and a banyan tree, when it grows, its stalk is small. What it does is, as it shoots off, you know, its its offspring roots, it just kind of clusters around. It looks like a bush, almost, if you will, of trees growing up. And if left alone, it can absolutely take over an acre of land. And it just keeps growing offshoots like this, and just offshoots, 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 and everything around it, the tree dies. It kills the grass, it kills vegetation. You know, animals can live in it, but there's not a whole lot of fruit. It just keeps growing bigger and bigger and bigger, but it doesn't do a whole lot of anything. And when the original banyan tree dies, it all dies. And eventually it will grow so wide and so much that it snuffs itself out. And then there's a different tree, a banana tree. A banana tree lives about 18 months. And in that time, the first six months it grows. The next six months it shoots offshoots to grow around it, the next banana trees. And the final six months it produces fruit and dies. But its offshoots start the next process and everything around it flourishes. Grass can go right next to a banana tree. And it keeps growing and growing and growing and keeps growing vegetation. And its fruit, of course, you and I both get to be partakers of the question is this with christian life you can be one of these two trees yes you can grow in your christian faith and you can absolutely put down roots upon roots upon roots upon roots but there will be a time if you're like a banyan tree when you don't produce fruit that you will die and the next generation won't have anything to live upon because of you or you can be a banana tree that takes the most of its time on earth and produces fruit and offshoots that produce fruit. This is exactly why Jesus leaves us with this. It's the exact reason he tells his disciples what to do at the end of his earthly time. Let's go to the scripture together. Matthew 28, verse 16. We start by, they go to where Jesus told them to go, to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus directed them. He saw them. They worshiped there. Some doubted. And Jesus says to him, and you're going to hear this over the next three weeks, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. In this moment, Jesus is giving them some keys to how to produce fruit, how to give the next generation the gospel, because he knew something the disciples also knew at this point. Life was short. Life is short. There's so many of us that want to hang on to it because we feel like if we just make the right steps, it's going to give us extra days. Uh, I believe it was my great-grandfather on my dad's side was a runner. Very healthy man. Lived off the land like many of our ancestors did. I mean, what they ate, they planted. What they ate, they grew. If they had sausage, it's because they grew a hog. And at a certain point, slaughtered it and made bacon. So many of our forefathers did that. They didn't go grocery shopping much. And he was one of these kind of guys, but he was healthy and he ran every day. He was one of the guys in the community everybody looked to and said, now that guy's got it. I mean, in his older years, he had muscles, he looked toned, and he died of a heart attack one day while running. None of us can hold on to life. We get that, right? None of us has a, a length of days that we've been given on a piece of paper that we go, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I do until Wednesday before I go, and then I'm going to live for Jesus like, like crazy. None of us has that. In fact, if anything, Scripture tells us the time is short, that life is fleeting, that it's like here one minute and gone the next. None of us are given time. The only thing that we claim for or yearn for, if you're like me, is more time. The older I get, the faster time goes. It seems like my kids, we drop them off at school for that first day, and then we pick them up after they finish that grade. Or like you and I, where we see that we're going to vote, and then four years goes by, and you vote again, and you're like, where did those four years go? It just seems like time is going by faster and faster. And it's the one thing that we give away faster than anything else. Maybe you're like we are at our house, that occasionally at the end of the day you went, oh, I'm just so tired. But where did the time go? Have you all had this moment? So Jesus is one of the disciples to engage the moments they have, to take the most of the moments that they get, and to do something that would revolutionize the world. He's asking them to take the most of their moments. And that is exactly what we have to do today because I believe the church has to show up now. I believe in the past it was we need to show up. I believe we have to now. We're seeing our world fall into ruin, our nation imploding upon itself. Hatred is on the rise. We sat last night with a lady at a ministry and, and just hurt her heart. And she said, I'm so sick of how much hatred there is now in our world. She goes, I live next door to different races and we love each other. So where's the hate? What's there, isn't it? The enemy is weaving hate right before our eyes. And the church is the solution because the church carries the name of Jesus. And so as we get this great commission as we know it now, Jesus at the moment, the disciples didn't hear, hey, by the way, write this down in the Bible. This will be the great commission. What they heard was this, right now go. Don't wait, go and make disciples. Now, disciples is something that we're lost in in American culture. We do it all the time. In fact, here's your first fill in the blank. Discipleship, we get this, is to take up the teaching of another, and everyone is a disciple of something. Everyone is a disciple of something. You're being discipled whether you know it or not. Because everybody is falling after the teaching of another. We're constantly changing to whoever is the it of the moment. Here's how we know. 
If we weren't disciples of someone outside of Jesus, we'd all be wearing bell bottles, uh, bell bottoms today, right? We'd all have froze. We'd all have cool glasses. We'd all be wearing, you know, big, tall heels. Men, we'd be walking in with our white boots, right? But we're discipled by someone. Someone at some place, probably New York, is going. You know what? Bell bottoms are out. Now we're getting into skinny jeans. Now, man, I don't know about you. Grant and I have this conversation often. We don't, I, I can't do skinny jeans. Skinny jeans don't work for me. Partially because I like to bend. If there's a penny on the ground, I told you this a few weeks ago, I like to pick it up. I don't want to have to go. Because people that wear skinny jeans have to make a choice. They either have to say, I choose not to breathe the rest of the day, or wear skinny jeans. I'm just not going to do it. But you know, someone told us that was it. When I was growing up, it was carpenter pants. You know, we all had carpenter pants on. Blue jeans with this little kind of thing that went out like this meant for a carpenter to put his hammer in it. I was in high school. I, didn't, I never swung a hammer. If I'd have shown up at school with a hammer in my carpenter pants... There would have been questions. I mean, that, that's how we went. And then came in the bleached, washed jeans. These are the jeans that someone somewhere dropped their jeans in New York in bleach and went, oh, no. Huh? And we all bought them. Then came upon, and those of y'all that remember this, the tobacco ring pocket jeans. Y'all remember these? I had those friends that were cowboys that always were out in the fields and their dads let them chew tobacco and they had the, the ring in their back pocket. You could buy those pre-ringed. We bought those. Now they're ripped. Any of y'all buy ripped jeans for your kids? When I was growing up, I got beat for ripped jeans. You'd show up to the house and your, your pants were ripped. Here your mom went, huh? <laughs> You're going down today, Kyle. Now you just buy them like that. I'm like, somebody in New York had a really bad childhood. They're like, my jeans are always ripped. <gasps> Let's pre-rip them. We'll save kids' lives. Kids, they're just walking around like, you like my ripped jeans? Plus, you can see my underwear out the top of my jeans. And, and I'm wearing a shirt from, you know, the 1970s band I've never heard of. I'm awesome. While listening to rap. Uh, that's how things change. We are constantly put under the discipleship of someone. We act like someone. We're discipled by commercials today. Don't believe me? Just wait. I, I could probably show you right now on the screen. I didn't do this, but I could have shown you a video on the screen of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Glistening, crispy, deliciousness. That has set it right in front of you and seen the smoke rise from it. You know what you're thinking about right now? Fried chicken. Little did you know you've been discipled because you've been enticed to follow something that originally you had no idea about. We're constantly discipled by something. The bad thing is this. Some discipleship is monetary. It's just, it's here one minute, it's gone the next. There's another discipleship that'll take your life. It'll move you in a direction that follows it to death or to life. And Jesus knew that the world would follow death. That's why he had to die for the world. So that they could loosen that discipleship from death. 
he died so that we wouldn't have to follow that path. Because sin always leads to a discipleship of death. But Jesus broke it with his life. And so let's look at discipleship for a moment. I want to talk to you about some keys of how to make disciples. Because you may be saying, Kyle, I've heard that all my life. Go make disciples, go make disciples, go make disciples. Let me show you what that means for a minute. The first is this. To make disciples, you have to be intentional in your walk. Have to be intentional in your walk, which means this. You have to be a disciple to make disciples. Literally, a rabbi would take on disciples. It were people that would follow him. And it would mean almost through dust. So a, a rabbi would walk, and as he walked, his, his sandals would kick up dust, and his disciples would walk through it behind him. It would be to be so intimate to someone that you would leave a path behind you that others would walk through. Have you ever followed somebody that, that's taking you down a new path? Maybe it's to the canyon or around a river or something like that. And they simply say, follow my steps so that you don't fall. And so they'll take a step over here and then over here. And they'll say, follow my steps. And so you do the same thing. Take a step here. Okay. And step over here. Good. You have been discipled. You're following the steps of another down a path. Whether we know it or not, we're constantly in discipleship. And so if it's not a disciple of Jesus, if you're not following his path, if you're not constantly in the word, if you're not prayed up, if you're not in fellowship, you're following somebody. It's just you got to find out who's lording your life. Because everybody's a disciple of somebody. Uh, you can almost find it in people's libraries. If I had a chance to look at, at what you read or what you watch the most. I could find out what you are a disciple of pretty quick. But frankly, our discipleship comes out in several things. In our actions, in our mouths, in what we buy, in whom we hang out with. Discipleship shows up all the time. But we have to be intentional in our walk, and, and here's why. Because if we're not intentional, we'll find ourselves living in defeat constantly and making no disciples of Jesus. In New York, this basketball coach got all of his boys together and he said guys we'll give you each a basketball and what I want you to do is I want you to go out on the court and I want you to pick the point where you think you shoot the most baskets and I want you to hit it 30 times in a row go all the boys began to find their spot on the court the coach was looking around and he looked over and on the bench sat a kid who was going to shoot from there because he knew that's exactly where he'd be kind of wonder if when it comes to making disciples if that's where we're shooting from I just know that I don't have what it takes I know that I'm going to mess this up so much that no one's going to want to follow Jesus if they see me let me just tell you how much of hogwash that is along comes a man named Paul who formerly was a person that persecuted Christians he he wanted them to die they were in opposition to his faith and God radically changes his life and for the rest of his life he would be in persecution. If not from the church, it was from those he formerly served with. Ultimately, he would spend the rest of his life in prison, writing to churches, reminding them not to lose sight of the Great Commission. He's like, don't forget to live like Jesus because people are constantly watching you. Hey, don't forget to not mix up with the ways of the world because people are constantly watching you. Hey, don't forget to, start, uh, to quit doing that because Jesus needs the world to see him. And he's left you to be that guide. 
So listen, if, if it's just about how bad you've been, believe me, here's a man that killed people for a living. And God used him and moved him into a powerful seat where most of the New Testament's pinned by this man. God can use you and God desires for you to be a part of what he's doing, but you got to be intentional. You can't sit on the bench, you got to get out there. You can't just simply hope that someone else will take Jesus to the world. You've got to be the person. You've got to have a desire to see Jesus save your family, save your coworkers, save the people you don't even know today. When you have that insatiable desire to see people want to a life following after Jesus, you'll do it with the rest of your life. Sadly, we call those people missionaries, which is a bad terminology because I believe that God can use lawyers, doctors, teachers, sanitation workers, anybody. He can even use pastors. Believe me, if God can use pastors, he can use anybody. God wants the world to know Jesus. And you get to be a part of that. But you got to start by being intentional in your walk. you got to do things the way he asked you to. The other is you always have to be available for others. This is the time hurt. The worst thing I believe that our nation has going for us is we all wear watches. We're so consumed with making sure that we're taking care of us that we've forgotten to take care of others. This is the Great Commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That means this, if you have an hour to give, it's your neighbor's. If you have a dollar to spend, it's your neighbor's. If you have strength to give, it's your neighbor's. Anything you have should be your neighbor's. Here's why. God can take care of you. He desires to, but here's the thing. Rarely do we give God the ability to have any part of us. We just say, God, take care of our neighbor's. We've got enough. When God says, you take care of your neighbor's, you've got enough. God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus for us. Not so that we could just become a banyan tree, but that we would actually produce fruit. Today is a day to kind of get this disciple name or word out of this scripture. Go therefore and make disciples, man. Go out there and be one. Go be a disciple. You will have people follow. When I was young, I remember there was a man who proved this theory. He is crazy as he could be, named David Koresh. Y'all remember David Koresh? He was in our backyard in Waco. David Koresh comes on the scene and claims to be Jesus reincarnated. People followed this guy. He was crazy. I mean, if you really looked at his body of work, he said things that were just, People followed this guy, and it cost them some of them their very lives. But watch the news. It happens all the time. It's been a reoccurring theme in our history that people will follow people. Only problem is this. The world's not looking for Jesus anymore. They've quit. They quit looking for Jesus. You know why? They haven't seen anybody lately affected by him. They're waiting to see if Jesus is real, he should be changing someone's life, and it should be yours, and it should be mine. They should be looking for Jesus and I tell you what, they should see you're the hallway to get there. Amen. We're not the saving part of Jesus. We're not the cleansing part of Jesus. We're not the redeemer. We sure can't be the Lord, but I can guarantee you something we've missed. Jesus called us to be disciple makers. And he meant for us to go and show people what it looks like to live for Jesus. 
Why is it that the church as a whole is declining like it is? We all are banyan trees. And God's calling us to be banana trees. We should be producing fruit. We should be putting down roots for the next generation to grow fruit. We should be doing things that call people to Jesus instead of push them away from him. How is it that sin is at its all-time high in our nation? The church has quit showing them Jesus. Because everybody's a disciple of somebody. And they're being discipled by someone other than Jesus. I'm telling you, the path that Jesus carves is not an easy one. It says so in Scripture. It says, narrow is the gate and the path. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, though, and many will fall down it. Can you see it? I tell you, the difference in the gatekeeper is Jesus. But the people that show them the path is you and I. That's the call that Jesus gave us in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The third is this. Let Scripture do the talking. You do not have to be some kind of super preacher to show people Jesus. I assure you of this. I promise you this. I can talk to someone in Amarillo, Texas, and share with them my testimony. And at the end of it, they're always going to ask me the same question. Are you a preacher? Every time. Every time I share Christ with someone, they ask me the exact same question, are you a preacher? And when I say yes, they go, oh, yeah, you have to do that. As though it doesn't matter because I'm a preacher and I have to share Jesus. Because if I don't, I can't do this, right? Y'all, sh- y'all should all say yes to that. But um, that's why the world needs the church to rise. Because people need to hear from school teachers that love Jesus. They need to hear from retired people that love Jesus. You know why? Because the world needs Jesus. And they're just waiting to see, is anybody really affected by him today? Because everybody's being discipled by something. As I was reading through Scripture, Colossians 3 came to mind. It says, therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you should also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of the Messiah to which you are called in one body control your hearts. Be discipled by the Messiah. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. This is what the heart of a disciple looks like. He is constantly letting God do work in him because he knows God's going to give that person an audience. And you have an audience today. You do. Even in the sanctuary today, you have an audience. They're watching you today. They're watching to see if Jesus has changed your life. You know how I know? The church is probably the largest gathering of judgmental people in the world. And you you may say, well, I don't go to church because they judge. Well, you judged because you said they're judging. We all do it. We're going to walk in and go, I don't like what they're wearing. And if you heard it, you'd go, well, I'm never coming back. They don't like what I'm wearing. But today when you walked in, you went, how ridiculous are those shoes? We're judging people. You know why we're judgmental? Because we're broken. 
because we all need Jesus to further help us. Because we should walk into church on Sunday and have one focus, Jesus. He should be the only reason that we have any time for this. Because we know we're going to walk in and people are going to come in not focused on Jesus. They're going to come focused on community. They're going to come focused on their song choices. We're going to be focused on how long the pastor preached. I wish he could just shut it down. They're going to have every focus except for Jesus. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they're going to miss him. They'll walk into a sanctuary, they'll sing a song, they'll hear a sermon and miss him completely. You know why people are so involved in the brokenness of church culture? They've quit looking for Jesus and they started looking for a person. And when you do that, I can promise you this. As your pastor, I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to do something wrong. Grant and I are going to blow it. Dale, he's going he's to mess it up at some point. You know why? Because we're just as broken as you are. We all need Jesus. And at some point in that process, you're going to go, well, I don't think I'm going back there anymore. And that statement means this. I don't see Jesus anymore. Because if you came for Jesus, I promise you this, you'll always find him. He is faithful, much more faithful than I could ever be. He is constant. He is compassionate. He is empowering. And if you leave a sanctuary of any church in town and aren't changed, it is not Jesus. It is us. This is why the world needs disciple makers. People that search for Jesus on a constant basis. And then as they go to work, as they go to school, as they, as they go to visit friends, whatever they do during the day, Jesus shows up with them. Because you can't help it. You just can't help it. When I was little, I had this dog named Gizmo. Gizmo was named Gizmo because at the time, gremlins came out and we bought a dog and I named him Gizmo. And which should have scared me to death, you know. Get him wet, he's done. Uh, but uh, Gizmo and I hung out a lot. And I smelled like Gizmo. Often. Because I'd roll with him in the grass. We were buddies. And so if I came in from playing with Gizmo, I smelled like Gizmo. And my mom would make sure that I knew I smelled like Gizmo. She'd say, mm, Kyle, you're going to have to go change your shirt and you're going to have to take a shower tonight. And I'd be like, why? And they're like, because you smell like a dirty dog. When you're around Jesus, he'll rub off on you. People will sense his presence on you. And the greatest part about that is this. He doesn't call anyone to perfection on their own. You don't have to have it put together. He'll do it. He'll take care of it. He's got the words. He knows the heart. He's got it put together. All you got to do is be ready. Be a disciple maker. So here's how we know that we're Jesus' disciples. We're lovers of God's word. We're personal in prayer. We pursue holiness and we love people. Those four things, lovers of God's word, personal in prayer, pursue holiness, and love people. If we will do those things, we will be marked by being disciples. There's this older couple, a farmer and his wife, after church one day, they, uh, they decided to take a Sunday drive. That's kind of gone out, hadn't it? Getting in your car and taking a Sunday drive. They're in this old truck, it's a bench seat, and they've driven quite a ways after eating Sunday lunch, and 
Eventually, the, the, you know, this older farmer's wife looks over to her husband and says, You know what, honey? You know what I miss? And he's thinking, we're old. We miss a lot of things now, babe. He said, what? And she said, I miss driving, sitting side by side, all snuggled up on Sundays. The farmer sat there a minute, and he goes, you know what, honey? I haven't moved. I've always driven. You moved. This is what a disciple is, is that they realize Jesus doesn't move in his love for you. He always loves you faithfully. He is always there. We just need to remind ourselves that when we're not connecting with God and when we're not making disciples of the next generation or someone close to us, we moved. We pushed away from God and we simply declared of our lives, someone else can do it. What if the church all showed up at one pivotal moment in history with one laser focus? at one particular time, it would change the world. But the craziest part about that is this. If one person in love with Jesus would show up at any given moment and show the world Jesus, they would change the world. You can do it. Jesus in you can change the world. Go make disciples. Start today. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak over this place, Lord. God, that you'd move in this place this morning. God, that you'd show that you can speak over people's lives. And God, that you can change the world through even one person, God, that would just show up and show the world what it means to be a disciple. So God, we pray that you would speak over the people in this room, God, that you'd give us an insatiable desire, God, to see people one to Jesus. Lord, Jesus changed our lives. We would want him to change everyone's around us. So God, restore to us the newness and joy of our salvation, just like David said. Renew that heartfelt love that you gave us when we came to know you. And Lord, change our world through us. Lord, start with me. Lord, speak over me that I might make disciples, that I might show people what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Lord, may that be the prayer of this room this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I'm going to invite you, as we always do. Dale and myself will be down here up front. We'd love to talk to you about the next steps of following Jesus. And we believe that if you'll give Jesus your life, he will change your world. So today, why don't you let him do that? Let him change the world through you today. Let's become disciples. Would you stand? You come as we sing.